story of Joseph is my story, it's your story. At this time of the year, every year, we're looking for Joseph. At this time of the year, in the dark nights, as we kindle the lights of Hanukkah, we're looking for Joseph. And the brothers of Joseph, who are seeking him as well, as the brothers of Joseph looking for food, really, not knowing that they were going to find their brother. There's a meeting that happens this Shabbos between Joseph and his brothers. And the Torah tells us, Yosef and Joseph recognized his brothers, but they didn't recognize him. This moment of recognition and not recognition, of hakara and ihakara, repeats itself at least four times in the book of Genesis. And as such, it is what Robert Alter called a type scene. It has a, an archetype. Boy meets girl by water, boy meets girl by water, lifts up stone, something good happens. There are many scenes like that. And the repetition of this scene, at least four times, if not more, in the book of Genesis, signals to us, the readers, that something significant is happening in this type scene. The type scene of seeing, but not being seen. Of the missing of perception. The first time it appears is in the story of Isaac and the blessing that he gives to Jacob. Of course, we know that Jacob wants more than anything to receive the blessing of his father. But he said, Isaac loves Esau. And no matter what Jacob does, that doesn't change. And so Jacob has to what? Dress himself as not Jacob. In order to receive the blessing of his father, he must become other than who he is. The second scene, the scene of Jacob and Leah. Jacob, who loves Rachel from the moment he meets her, first kiss of the Torah is recorded between Jacob and Rachel. Love, marriage made in heaven, that somehow goes awry. Leah, in order to receive a husband, must dress in Rachel's clothing and be Rachel. In order for Leah to receive a husband, she must become Rachel. The third scene, chapter 38 of the book of Genesis, and Judah went down from his brothers, has three children, two of them die, and the third one, the one named Shelah, belonging to her, he refuses to give to his daughter-in-law, Tamar. And in refusing to comport with the custom of the land, the leathery marriage that would have him give over his son to his daughter-in-law, Tamar, of course, as we know in the story, takes the law into her own hands. Standing by the side of the road, she covers her face, concealing her true identity as Tamar, his daughter-in-law, and instead becoming a prostitute whom Yehuda has relations with. Tamar must become not Tamar to receive what justly belongs to her. 
In the last scene, the scene in this week's third portion, Jacob, I'm sorry, Joseph and his brothers, this is the framework within which the meeting between Joseph and his brothers must be understood. The man the brothers bow down to bears no resemblance to a Hebrew slave, to a Hebrew shepherd. He speaks Egyptian, he's dressed in an Egyptian ruler's robes, he's called Tzapnat Paneach, an Egyptian name. He wears Pharaoh's signet on his hand, a gold chain of authority around his neck. They think they are in the presence of an Egyptian prince, but it is Joseph, their little brother in disguise. Joseph recognized his brothers, but they didn't recognize him. Only when they appear as something or someone other than who they are, these characters, Jacob, Leah, Tamar, and Joseph, can they achieve what they seek? The blessing, a husband, for Tamar, a son, and for Joseph, the non-hostile attention of his brothers. Finally, they're going to look at him without envy, without those eyes. Just a little bit, he wanted to be seen. So do these disguises work, everybody? Well, yeah, they do. For the short term, Jacob gets the blessing, but he suffers greatly as a result of that blessing. He's on the run for years. Leah, though she marries Jacob, never quite feels loved by him. She can't ever get it right. She names her first three children. Now my husband will love me. She names her children for the love that she wanted to receive. She never got it. Tamar did indeed have a child. She won, maybe. But we never find her again in the family of Judah. We never find her speaking to Judah. And Joseph, his brothers no longer hate him. But now they fear him. Even after assurances that he will not harm them in any way, they still think he's going to have revenge on them. By the end of the story, when Jacob dies, they're scared. He might have a non-hostile audience, but there's no trust. Hiding in the book of Genesis, and we might say in life, it might be understandable, it might be necessary, but it isn't good. It doesn't work. The first one to hide, Adam. I get that, where are you? God calls out. And I was afraid. I was afraid, so I hid. These consequences, some of them hidden consequences, carry a great responsibility. When we are all born, you and I, all of creation makes room for us. The entire manifest universe shifts and says, here comes her Majesty the Queen, His Majesty the King, rich or poor, black or white, gifted or foolish, each of us a child of God, intrinsically whole, pure. We each inherit a rightful place where we may live and grow 
free and without, without judgment. But for many of us growing up like that, didn't feel like a non-judgmental environment. For many of us, the very sense of safety and belonging that a family and a home should provide was absent. For many of us, our entire lives have become cluttered with strategies for belonging. We try through some combination of performance, wearing masks intended to fool others, to bolster our own impressiveness, to look attractive and valuable so that those who love, whose love we really, really need, will deign us worthy. And it doesn't work. The truth is, and this is a deep truth in our tradition, that in contrast to Hellenists and the Greeks, the Jewish people never believed a person was defined by the mask they wore. The world was not a stage on which we played, and we didn't have different masks. There is no Hebrew word for personality. There is no Hebrew word for personality. We don't have masks, everyone. We have faces. Faces that disclose, as the French philosopher Levinas says, the naked soulfulness of who we are. Face in Hebrew, the word for face, panim, means inside. A story, a depth, not a surface. We are not the masks we wear. We are individuals whose innermost thoughts are known to God, the source of all. We are all what lies behind our masks. Ultimately, says Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, that is the reason the Torah systematically devalues, devalues sight in favor of sound, voice, and listening. The Torah often says, see, but what it really means is, hear, listen deeply, don't be fooled by the surfaces. When you light the candles on Hanukkah, make sure you don't use that light to find things with your eyes, but as an inner invitation to hear something, to come out from behind your masks. To walk into a Jewish sanctuary is to remove the mask we wear out in the world and to disclose our true face, the face of who you really are. How ironic it is then that just this week, for the first time in six years since I came to Ramamu, somebody said, Rabbi, I notice you're wearing suits these days. <laughs> are you going to become a suit, Rabbi? <laughs> What was I going to say? <laughs> I like wearing suits. I grew up wearing suits. Something in me is moving. Did that person ask me, what's going on for you? First of all, I would have thought it was inappropriate, but had she asked. <laughs> to build a shul where people walk in, a community where people walk in and don't judge each other by the clothing they wear, but by the vulnerability that they display. Not what they hide, but what they show. That's what a community should be. 
something that has to be. Otherwise, let's get rid of it. We don't need this. We don't need this ark. We don't need these bimas. We have enough buildings in the Jewish world where nobody shows up. We need buildings in the Jewish world where all of us shows up. And where all of us feel safe enough to show up. And I'm not getting into the conversation of whether or not there's an appropriate dress code for a shul. That's an important conversation. But not for you guys to worry about. Shema Yisrael. Don't be fooled by eyes. Shema Yisrael. Listen deeply. Recognize that behind the shaven face of your brother, there's Joseph. There was the one that you didn't recognize when he looked like you, and you still don't recognize him now that he doesn't look like you, because you never saw him. You never heard him. We are not what others perceive us to be. We are with God, the source. Our own highest self and soul know us as. The drama of your life is not played out on the stage of society, but in the inner dialogue between you and your nishama, between you and your soul. The centrality of these four narratives, the Jacob story, the Leah story, the Tamar story, and ultimately this Shabbat, the Joseph story, the centrality of that story in our tradition and in the book of Genesis has one lesson. It is that to stand in a genuine relationship to another human being is of the utmost importance. And more importantly, to not stand in true relationship with someone is tantamount to idolatry. To not see them, to see an image of them that you project is like seeing an image of God that you project. And just as Judaism in the book of Deuteronomy and other places will say that if you didn't see any image, listen. Don't look for what your eyes can see. It's not about the eyes. It's about what you hear. Don't think you saw God. So too, you don't see a person when you see the clothing or the happy face they give you even though their heart is breaking. We have to have holy eyes. The Baal Shem Tov said that when he was a young man, he once went to Cheder, and the Baal Shem Tov, the founder of the Hasidic movement, also hated going to school like most of us. And he went to Cheder one morning, and he couldn't stand it. And he ran out of the, the school, the Cheder, and he ran into the woods, and he was crying against a tree. And all of a sudden, he heard a couple of twigs, and before he knew it, there was someone standing right before him, an older man. And this older man took his hand, his own hand, and placed it over the Baal Shem Tov's eyes. And he said to him, Yisrael, you should have you should have holy eyes. And with that, he vanished. And the Baal Shem Tov said, from that moment on, when he looked at someone, all he could see was the flame in their heart that was reaching for God. That when he looked out into the world, all he saw was yearning. And his heart filled with compassion. My son this week, he gave me another gift. It was my Hanukkah gift from him. My eldest son, I should say. 
As I was leaving the house on Wednesday evening to go to Brooklyn to teach a class on how to work with obstacles in life, I was running late and I was a little bit frenetic. All I could see with my flesh eyes were, I gotta get out of here fast, there's gonna be traffic. And I could hear my son yelling something and I, and I had to ignore it because I had to leave, you know? So I closed the door to my apartment and I pressed down to the elevator and I'm trying my best to ignore the screaming. And the elevator's going up four, five, six, and then I'm on the ninth floor, going up the ninth floor, I'm thinking, okay, hurry up, hurry up. And then I hear it, I hear it. I said, Abba, you forgot something. You forgot something. And I'm thinking, well, you know, he just wants to open the door so I can give him another hug. And then it gets closer, he says, I hear him saying, Abba, you forgot your shma. You forgot your shma. And he opened the door and he took out my necklace that has the shema on it. And he said, here, Abba, don't leave the house without the shema. <laughs> Rumi wrote, look, this is love. To fly toward the heavens, to tear a hundred veils in every wink, to tear a hundred veils at the beginning, and to travel in the end without a foot. To tear a hundred veils in every wink is to learn to listen with our eyes. May the one who is masked, particularly at these dark moments in history and in the year, reveal herself to us, her children who yearn for the intimacy of hearing, of hearing a good word, of hearing good tidings and good news. And in the muted nature of sometimes what faith is, may God bless us. Isa Adonai Panah Velecha Yifuneka. Isa Adonai Panah Velechem Velechem Lechem Shalom. May God bless us with being able to hear the faint echo of the voice of peace.